Starting today, I'm going to preach the first sermon series of the year. At Forest, we seek a balanced spiritual diet with the different sections of the Bible. So in spring, we study the Gospels. In summer, we reflect on the Old Testament history. In fall, we examine the letters of the New Testament. For spring 2023, I decide to delve into Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew. Last year, we studied a Gospel of Luke. Particularly, we saw Jesus' journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. There, we witnessed Jesus' interaction with various kinds of people. And it's still in, the, in our podcast, so I encourage you to check it out. But this year, in Matthew, we will see Jesus' teaching. So one year, we learn from his deeds. The other year, we are learning from his words. So let me briefly introduce Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew was called a teaching gospel because it has five major sermons of Jesus. By the way, why did Matthew emphasize Jesus' teaching ministry more than other gospels, such as the Gospel of Luke, I mean Mark, highlight the actions or acts? It is because Matthew's audience was a Jewish people and for Jewish readers, everything has to jive with the scripture, Hebrew scripture, especially the Torah, the book of Moses. And that's why Matthew organized Jesus' teaching material into five sermons. Why five sermons? Because the Torah is made of five books of Moses. And Matthew wanted to show his Jewish people and us that Jesus is the one who clarifies and completes the law. And he is a true lawgiver, and his authority is higher than Moses because he is a promised Messiah and the Son of God. So let me give you a first eye view of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1 to 4 introduces Jesus. In his genealogy, how he was born, and how he started ministry. And in Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus gave a first sermon called the Sermon on Mount, and many people call it the greatest sermon, on earth, greatest sermon ever. And about seven years ago, you know, I preached through that Sermon on Mount, and most of you weren't here, so probably I will recycle, not recycle, I will probably deepen it and try again. And then Matthew 8 to 9, Jesus you know, compassionately heal people, exercise demons, and call disciples. And Matthew 10 is a second sermon in the Sermon on Missions as he sent out the 12 disciples. And then disciples returned with a great success, and the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, recognized the popularity of Jesus, and there is a growing reaction to Jesus. That is Matthew 11 and 12. And that brings us Matthew 13, sermon on the uh, sermon on the kingdom of God, and that's the passage we're going to study today. And then later there's two more sermons in the Matthew 18. Jesus gave a sermon on the church after Peter gave a famous confession in Caesarea Philippi that Jesus is uh, you know uh, uh, son of God and the live, I'm son of living God and Messiah, and then Jesus you know, gave uh, Peter the, or anyone who believes it make that confession, that key to the kingdom of God or key of the church. 
And then Matthew 24 and 25, when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he gave a last sermon called the Mount Olive Sermon, which talks about judgment of God. Now, let me introduce you Matthew 13 and its setting. So let me read of verse 1 to 3. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parable. So Matthew 13 is called the Sermon on the Lake or a Sermon by Shore because Jesus preached on a boat toward a large crowd sitting by the seashore. He told them seven parables, parable of a sower, wheat, mustard seed, yeast, hidden treasures, and pearls, and the fishing net. Parables are major teaching tools of our Lord. Jesus gave us the 37 parables, which are 35% of his recorded teaching. But today, I want us to rather focus on critical importance of hearing Jesus correctly. Our focus today is hearing Jesus correctly because parable is a more than story. Parable is a more than illustration for preaching. It is a more than supplementary. It is a substantial. You know, I like uh, what a uh, uh, seminal New Testament scholar and expert of Jesus' parable, a person named uh, Klein Snowgrass, you know, called the parable stories with the intent. Stories with the intent. And uh, let us find out Jesus' overall intent to teach parables in Matthew chapter 13. So let's read Matthew chapter 13, verse 10 to 17 responsively. So I'm going to read first, and you read the following verse. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I'll tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Flowers fall, but the water of God remains forever. Amen. Here, as soon as Jesus gave the first parable, the parable of a sower, sower, which we will study next time, his disciples asked Jesus a very honest and important question. That is, why do you speak to people in parable. Why do you teach people in parables? 
You know, for, at first, when I get, I say, why did they ask such a, such a question? Doesn't Jesus have a freedom to teach any way he likes? Why, why do they ask this kind of, you know, question? You know, what they are asking is very important. So wake up and listen. Yeah, wake up and listen. They've been hearing Jesus' sermon up to now. Whenever Jesus preached, it was amazing. You know, it was a radical. The content of Jesus' message was amazing. Jesus didn't just say they love, you know, friends and family and, the, you know, those nice people. Jesus said, love your enemy, you know. And then his authority, his understanding of a human heart is deeper and better than anybody, including Moses. So a sermon on Mount is ended. First sermon was given. Guess what people's reaction? If you look at the Matthew 7, people were amazed. But today, soon as the you know, disciples heard the Jesus' first parable about sower, which is, there is a guy, farmer went out and uh, planted the sower, and uh, some seed grew well, some didn't, some. And the disciples said, So? We know that. What's the point, Jesus? They began to, they began to worry. Why, why, why do you preach? Why do you all of a sudden change your, your preaching format, teaching format? Do you get it? That's what they're asking. And they especially were asking, Jesus, what are you getting at? Your parable teaching is a kind of a mysterious, very ambiguous, almost enigmatic. Seems like you're speaking a cryptical language. Up to now, Jesus spoke everything crystal clearly and all of a sudden speaking very ambiguously. Do you get that? It's very important, okay? That's the context. That's the foundation. And uh, speaking about cryptical language, do you know what cryptical language is? You know, when I was young, and whenever my parents want to speak something confidential, in front of me and my siblings, all of a sudden they start speaking Japanese. And we know something important is going on. And then later, I'm also start speaking, a, a, you know, a cryptical language. When my children was young and didn't know the alphabet, I spoke Jamie. Hey, Jamie, later, how about I-C-E-C-R-E-A-M? Or, you know, she knows a little bit of Spanish. How about Elado? That's all the cryptical languages. And the disciples today, they definitely thought, felt that Jesus' language is very enigmatic and cryptical. And here we must understand something important about Jesus' parable and parabolic teaching, that Jesus' parables are more than information that we can just you know, hear it and rationally process with our mind. It is more than rational and informational. Jesus' teaching is a spiritual, especially the parable. By that I mean the hearers, the listeners, they must be ready to receive his word with an open heart. Because just hearing it doesn't make you understand. 
So with or without the proper hearing, you can prosper or perish through even though you heard that Jesus, you know, uh, pre- preaching. So before we hear Jesus in a parables, we need to prepare ourselves today with the three recognitions. The three recognitions of hearing Jesus correctly are promise, peril, and privilege. Okay, these are the three key words today. Promise, peril, privilege. First, promise. To the disciples' question, Jesus gave this answer. Look at the verse 11. Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, not to them. Whoever has will be given more. Who has, who, uh, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Here Jesus divided his uh, you know, audience into two groups, you and them. It's like us versus them. You know, our Lord was saying that my promise of blessings is for you, not for them. And before you ask question, if Jesus discriminates against people or Jesus gives a preferential treatment to some people over others, we must find out who you is here. Obviously, you means his disciple. Why does Jesus give his promise of increasing blessings to his disciples? The answer comes from preceding passage before the Matthew 13. So look at the last story in the Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, 46 to 50 tells us this. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother, his mother and brothers stood outside and wanted to speak to him. So someone told him that your mother and brothers are standing outside and wanting to speak to you. Jesus replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You know, according to Jesus, his royalty and commitment lies with a spiritual family rather than his biological family. Do you hear that? To Jesus, the real family is a spiritual family. Now, you must really pay attention here. You must, we have to make a careful biblical understanding about the priority of a spiritual family. It's very important. Some Christians, including some of my friends, you know, pastor friends and their, their congregation, and then many cults and false believers, unfortunately, they think a biological family means nothing and spiritual family is everything. That's not what Jesus meant and showed in his life. You know, Jesus cared about his own biological family just as much as he cared for and he lost people. Even on the cross, do you remember Jesus entrusting his mother to beloved disciple John to take care of the rest of our life, right? Jesus never abandoned or neglected his biological family. It was actually they who did not believe Jesus and his mission or ministry until resurrection. Did you know Jesus' biological family were unbelievers until his crucifixion and resurrection? You know, look at the Acts chapter 1, verse 14. 
day, day here means 120 people who saw Jesus ascending to heaven in earlier passage. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with a woman and who married the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. That tells us after the resurrection of Jesus, at the end, his biological family became his spiritual family. Hallelujah. Amen. This is a goal that every Christian should have. It is a duty and prayer that our biological family becomes a spiritual family, that we become a brothers and sisters in Christ. Because, listen to me, only in Christ, our family bond becomes, or gets healthier and stronger. You know, without the spiritual bond in Christ, biological families can become dysfunctional. Either very idolatrous, they know nothing but themselves, or most of times they are kind of uh, broken and fighting inside. Yes, goal of my Christian parenting is to not to just raise my children well and in the church and then, you know, so forth. No. Help, you know, marry them, marry good people, but I help my daughters and then their, you know, my son-in-laws become a better followers of Christ and ultimately we become a brothers and sisters in Christ and hopefully co-laborers in Christ. So this week, I'm going to Southern California to officiate my oldest daughter's wedding. And uh, guess what I'm going to actually, you know, I want to share with uh, my, my oldest daughter, Mariel, and, uh, you know, you know to-be-husband, Sam. You know, guess what I'm going to say? Besides uh, whatever, you know, ser- you know, wedding sermons and all that. My serious spiritual advice would be give tithing to God. You know, last Sunday, we heard great message. Those of you who agree, raise your hand. Oh, amen. Raise your hand for one more time. Because the speaker is sitting in the back. You know, Beth came, I was so grateful. She, once again, she delivered a solid biblical message on stewardship. And the stewardship, she included not just the treasure money, but also time, Temple, our body, our testimony, also holistic. That was awesome. And I want to tell you, from my own personal experience of walking with Christ in, you know, more than 40 years in my life, I experienced God's grace and blessing, abundant blessing in my finance. Yes, faith and finance cannot be separated. So those who are new to the forest... Yeah, we are serious about finance. Not, you know, not because we are in need of any you know, financial help. We are doing well, actually, financially. But because, you know, amazing thing is that whatever we give to God, it, it returns to us multiple. You know, multiple. Seriously. Yeah. So, you know, young, I see a lot of young people in our church who love Jesus. And, you know, I feel, that, oh, I love Jesus. Yes, great. Do you give a tithing? No. Yeah. 
Put your, you know, wallet where your mouth is. For me, tithing is a blessing because more than anything, more than a Christian duty or even material return from God, it saved me from materialism. It's nothing like, a, you know, that 10% that, you know, God could ask for 30%, but just 10% is an incredible psychological, you know, uh, uh, tool to 10% is a hard, people. Yeah, some people give more. That's amazing. You know, 10% is a critical. But again, it saved me from materialism. And every time it was hard to give a tithing, it is a test of my faith, and God came through. Only verse in the Bible where God said, test me and see if I'm going to throw open the heaven gate and bless you or not. That is come from about tithing in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. So I'm going to talk to my, you know, my daughter and the son-in-law. If you're really serious about God, make a commitment from the beginning of your you know, Christian marriage. Now, what is, you know, Jesus said today, whoever does the will of God is, is a brother and sister and mother and family. What is the will of God? According to John chapter 6, will of, will of God is the will of him who sent me that I shall not lose none of those that he has given me and raise them up at the last day. For it is, my, it is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You know, will of God is to believe in Jesus because he is the Messiah that God sent us for us to have a salvation and eternal life. Now, the knowledge of a secret of a kingdom of God in verse 11, actually in Greek text, the knowledge of a, a, a secret is a one word, which is a mysteria from which we have English word mystery. And the, what is a mystery in the Bible? Mystery is something that was a hidden in the past, but now revealed. That is a mystery. In another word, the, the mystery or secret knowledge of God's kingdom is none other than Jesus. Jesus. Because in Jesus, the hidden God, the Israelites heard about from prophets and then, you know, whatever other, you know, prophets and then others now became a fully revealed and standing before them in flesh. That's why Jesus intentionally called himself, I am. I am, I am, in the Gospel of John seven times. Now, Jesus said, if you have me, you will have increasing blessing of God's kingdom because I am the king. I am the king. And the king's job is take care of his people. If you allow me to reign your life, you will prosper. That's a promise. That's a promise. That's what promise that you know, Jesus gave to the disciples and us today. And here I want you to you know, recognize the important fact. The disciples of Jesus, who are they? They are nobodies, right? Whoa. Their human credential is uh, pitiful. They are uneducated, fishermen. Uh, there's a one smart guy who was tax collector, very immoral, you know. And they hillbillies from Galilee. But one thing they did, 
they are committed to Jesus. What's the result? 2,000 years later, we name our children after these 12 dumb guys. Peter, where are you? Peter, Matthew, you know, James, Andrew. We have many Andrews in our church. How many Andrews do we have? You know, Simon. We name, as somebody said, we name our past after Roman emperors like Caesar, Nero. But we name our children after apostles. When we have a Jesus, you know, to have a Jesus means we have everything because everything belongs to Jesus. Hallelujah! And then to have a Jesus, you don't have to be super special, overachiever, even ultra, you know, righteous. Only thing you need, receive him in your heart. And this is a first step toward understanding the parables and the God's word. Because unique thing about the scripture is that scripture is not like any other books in, in human history. The author, the Holy Spirit, is alive and active. Those who receive Jesus as a Savior in the Lord, you can ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand. And he will definitely help you to understand. Some of you heard from my testimony from my childhood. I was a very avid, you know, almost precocious, you know, reader. I, could, I read a lot of books. You know, I read the 60 volumes of world literature in one year, twice. But whenever I came to the Bible, I couldn't pass no more than three chapters. This was a sleeping pill. Seriously. You know, you have a hard time to sleep. Listen to the Bible. Oh, dear Bible, it'll put you asleep. You know? But when I received Christ, all of a sudden, Scripture grabbed me, and I couldn't take my eyes and mind off the Scripture. So, first step toward the hearing and understanding Jesus' parable is to have the king in your heart. And that's how secrets of kingdom will be revealed to you. Now, let me, I just want to say one more time. You have to know, it's not you are committing to Jesus. When you commit yourself to Christ, Christ is committed to you more than ever. The most scary time of my life was when Jamie and I were standing at the wedding altar. My pastor preached an hour in our wedding sermon. Some of you, yeah, so that's my standard. From now on, I decide to preach a wedding sermon one hour because we have too many weddings going on. So we have other, you know, good pastors to officiate the wedding. But during that time, whole time, for me, it looked like a, it passed like a, just a few minutes. You know why? Looking at my wife, this is a poor girl. It's committing her life to this uh, stupid guy. I said, may God have mercy on you. Definitely, you know, you could have picked any great guys. Why did you reject that engineer that your you know, friend set up? Why are you marrying uh, this uh, struggling Fabi pastor here? You know, what are your life getting to? Looking at my wife, I was uh, in awe and fear. Because receiving someone's, you know, commitment means you are also committing to that person. So when you commit your life to Christ, you should know more than you can ever imagine. Christ is committed to you. So 
When you're talking about surrender, you know, it depends on to whom you are surrendering. Please don't surrender your life to me. I can't handle it, and I don't welcome it. But when you surrender your life to Christ, it's a different story. It's a different story. He is committed to you. He will be responsible for you. Everything that you give to Christ, it will return to you beyond your imagination. All right, let me go quickly. I already preached 30 minutes, so let me finish the rest within 15 minutes. Second recognition to hear Jesus is a pearl. Look at the verse 12. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parable. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. What Jesus said here sounds like a richer get richer and poor get poorer, which is kind of shocking to hear because, you know, Jesus, more than anybody, he is an advocate of a poor. Why does he take away from people who don't have much? You have to know this. Jesus' ministry almost a ministry of judgment as a ministry of a grace. Yes, don't forget that. Jesus is not all about grace. To the people who receive is a gospel, it's a ministry of a grace, but people who reject it is a ministry of a judgment. Grace and judgment happen together. Some people misunderstand this passage. They think, is this a predestination? You know, Jesus, you know, give whatever, whoever they give, takes away, you know. No, this is not about predestination passage. This is about predisposition, predisposition of a human heart. How you receive it, God's word matters. To warn those who take his word lightly and reject his truth, Jesus gave a lengthy quote from Isaiah 6. Look at the verse, you know, 14. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will, be, uh, you will be hearing but never understanding. You will be seeing but never perceiving. This people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. Turn means repent. And then I would heal them. In Isaiah's word, we see, in this Isaiah's words, we see God's frustration with Israel. Because they hear without understanding and they see without perceiving. And reason for that is that their hearts are calloused and hardened. And the hardened hearts are closed heart. Closed heart means full of their own idea and there is no humble opening for God's fresh truth. You know, in times of Isaiah, Israel was so confident about the temple of Jerusalem. And they have this kind of false theology that, you know, as long as we have a temple of God and our God is almighty God and God will never let anybody to, you know, attack and destroy his temple and everybody around it. And out of the false religiosity, they are doing everything superficially and they are not following God's will to love and care for the poor and needy and build up, you know, bring the justice. To them, God was frustrated. And God was so exasperated. So God said today that God became almost sarcastic. If you look at the last verse, God almost denied his own very well-known character of compassion and mercy. He said, I'm afraid they're going to repent and I have to heal them. Isn't that contradictory? Didn't he send this prophet to you know, help them to repent? 
What is this? What is the, what is the God is saying? Here, God is showing us how deeply he's hurt and saddened when we don't hear him correctly. That's what God is trying to say. And by the way, why did Jesus quote and share this strong divine frustration here with his disciples? If you look at the Matthew 12, there is a story. You know, previously in a chapter, there is a story that uh, people brought uh, a demon-possessed guy who, you know, as a result, he was, uh, he was uh, blind and uh, 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 mute. He's a blind and mute, and then Jesus healed him. And guess what? When Pharisees saw that, verse 24, they said, It is only Beelzebub, the prince of demons. This fellow, that means Jesus, drive out the demons. So Jesus said, verse 28, It is, if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so I'll tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone speaks a word against the Son of God will be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or age to come. By the way, if you, are, if you wonder about the meaning of a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, take the Cornerstone Bible study. We offer first Bible study. So that's where you learn. But three times Jesus in his response to Pharisees' rejection, he mentioned what? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, you are not just rejecting me. You are rejecting Holy Spirit. Why did he emphasize the Holy Spirit three times? Because in prophetic literature of Old Testament, Holy Spirit is a God's key agent of redemption. Without a Holy Spirit, God's new creation does not happen. So do you guys remember, Zach- I mean, Zechariah, you know, when, 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 when uh, uh, you know, Zerubbabel tried to build a temple again after the ex- returning from exile of Babylon, what did Zerubbabel say? It is not by my might, nor by my power, but by the Spirit of God I'm going to rebuild the temple of God. Holy Spirit is a crucial agent in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus is telling that you saw obviously what happened is a work of the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit and you are rejecting. You are not just rejecting me, you are resisting kingdom of God. And when you resist the king and kingdom of God, this is a serious warning Jesus gave. You will lose it all at the end. Because whether you like it or not, I am the king of the universe, and my kingdom, I have come, and my kingdom is advancing. So you don't join me, everything you will have eventually will be lost. Because this world will be my reign and my kingdom. And this is a spiritual fact. If we don't have a Jesus in our life, sooner or later everything we have will be lost. You know, last week, uh, I saw a, a business article headline that Tesla had a best week since 2013 because uh, their stock jumped to more than 50% since the beginning of the year. I guess Elon Musk must be dancing again, even though he's not a good dancer and shouldn't dance in publicly. But he will be dancing. The question is, uh, how long will he dance? 
not long. Sooner or later, he will pass from his life. You know, people talk about the missed opportunities. You know, the greatest missed opportunity is rejecting God's truth. Because God loves you, and God gives the best and the true wisdom of all. So Jesus is telling us today, I am the, your greatest opportunity. You have me, you will have everything. You will you reject me, sooner or later, everything you have will be lost. That's what Jesus is saying. This is a serious peril of not following Jesus. And I want to say, especially the Christians, you know, those Christians say, oh, I believe in Jesus, I'll go to heaven. How about rest of the area of your life? Can you say Jesus is your King and Lord in every sector of your life? Is it Jesus is just an addition to whatever you have? I have a good education, I have a career, I have a significant other, now I need a Jesus. Is it Jesus just another? Or Jesus is the center of your life? Now let me move on to the final you know, preparation to hear Jesus correctly. That is a privilege. This is the last recognition. Look at the verse 16 and 17. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous long to see what you see but did not see it, but to hear what you hear but did not hear. Once again, the key repeated word here Emphasize the word is your and you. Actually, verse 11, when Jesus said that the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has given to you, in original Greek text, the first word is to you. The kingdom, the, the mystery of a kingdom was given to, given. It's to you. The word starts with you. So in a way, today's passage starts with you and ends with you. Jesus trying to emphasize, do you guys, do you know how much you are blessed? When disciples asked that, why do you teach, you know, very mysteriously? And Jesus was telling them, that's a secondary. Do you know how blessed you are to hear my word and much more to understand what it means? And then Jesus compared their, their blessedness to those of faithful people in Old Testament. Who are they? The many prophets and righteous people in verse 17. Who are the prophets? Prophets are people who speak God's word and righteous and people who obey God's word. They are kind of a summarize the entire Old Testament. And today, Jesus told the 12 disciples, you are more blessed than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, you name it. All the prophets, all the kings, all the patriarchs, you are more blessed. They long to see the Messiah coming. You know about their longing of a righteous people? Just a one passage. Look at the, uh, Job chapter 19. You know, this is a righteous innocent sufferer. You know, one hope that he was uh, hanging on to, clinging on to, all throughout the, while his friends, you know, misjudged him, and then they kind of, you know, gave a wrong, you know, kind of forcing him to confess sin never committed. This is what Job said. I know my Redeemer lives. In the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, 
That means if I don't see him on earth, at least after I die, I will see God. And I myself will see him with my own eyes, and I not another how my heart yearns with me. What Job longed for, disciples saw in front of them. Every day, every day. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus was telling disciples, do you guys know how blessed you are? Do you know what I'm offering to you? On that note, do you know you and I are more blessed than anybody in human history? This is a huge claim. Listen to me again. Do you know you and I, each one of us here, in the entire human history, are far more blessed than anybody in the past because we saw the full drama of a divine redemption in the Bible, God's promise and fulfillment. And we saw Jesus and the, those who obeyed Jesus and fulfilled. And we saw that a faithfulness of the early church and the, how they turned the Roman Empire upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the, we saw that the, all the you know, faithful people in the medieval time and the reformers in the Old Testament, I mean, the, during the Protestant Reformation and so forth. In human history, who have known God more than you and I? Tell me, anybody know more about God than you and I? I really believe we will be judged, should be judged, more severely than anybody in history because we receive too much God's revelation and truth. We have no excuse. Seriously. You know, I think I am more, I will be more judged than all of you, because I learned so much. And it's accountable. I'm accountable. We are more blessed than anybody in history. And Jesus is telling disciples, do you know how blessed you are? These prophets and the righteous, they're longing to have a glimpse of me. Moses just heard my voice in the burning bush. He saw just my back. You see me in human flesh. Do you guys understand how blessed you are? When we recognize it is our greatest privilege to hear God's word, God will speak to us. Amen? So are you ready to hear God's parables? Are you ready to hear God's parables in Matthew 13? Are you really humbling yourself and asking, you know, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I know it is awesome privilege. Help me to not to just to hear it, but plant it in deep in my heart and then make it germinate and then grow and then bear the fruit that stays forever. Amen? Let's pray.